now it's my great pleasure to introduce tonight's moderator, Ms. Noe Tanigawa. Noe Tanigawa is the arts and culture reporter for Hawaii Public Radio, an award-winning journalist. She has been honored by the Los Angeles Press Club, the Society for Professional Journalists, and the Edward R. Murrow Awards. She previously hosted radio music and news programs for WQXR in New York City and KCCN-KINE in Honolulu. Please give a warm welcome to Ms. Noe Tanigawa. So glad you're here. Ah, let's have a wonderful night together. All right. It's my great pleasure to introduce our panel today. And the, the person here to my far right, originally from Hawaii, Jordan Keao is now making a splash on the continent. I mean, anytime you can get attention as an eating establishment in San Francisco, you're doing something right. His place, Ina is called a modern Hawaiian eatery. And they have been receiving rave reviews. They started as a br brunch place and now have expanded. He is the talk of the town. Zagat um, has already noted him prior to that as one of the Bay Area's chefs to watch. And um, when he says a modern Hawaiian eatery, this guy, what does he mean? He means lomi paprika trout. He means taro leaf raviolo. And we're going to find out more about his ideas. And just to thank you so much for coming here and, and being with us today, Jordan. He has spent a lot of time thinking about what kind of food in Hawaii would hit in San Francisco, and, and he's, he's found some winners. Next up here, Keone Chang. <laughs> he has worked as a chef across the United States and, in fact, um, came back to Hawaii in 2012 as the national grand champion supermarket chef. And that is not easy to do. That was the very first competition. He, he, he took it. All right, that was some showdown. And we all know he's good because a good third of us eat his food at least every week. And many of us have tried his recipes too. Kalbid, kochujang, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for all, of, all you've done for, for our eating habits in, in Hawaii. Keone. Keone Chang, he is the executive chef over at Foodland. Next up, you've read her in the Wall Street Journal, Monocle. You've read her in Eater and in Flux. She was also food editor for Honolulu Magazine. And now she is riding the wave of popularity of poke with her new book, the Poke Cookbook, called The Freshest Way to Eat Fish, Martha Chang. And this other one here, we're so lucky to have him with us today. Busy schedule in the sky. He's been working, um, you may not know, uh, planning meals for American Airlines, where? Europe, uh, Asia, Pacific, and he has a chain of restaurants, Poke to the Max, in Seattle. Um, this person has spent a lot of time uh, assessing tastes on the continent. He has planned menus and eating reg regimes for the folks at what? Amazon? Yeah, Amazon. Starbucks? Starbucks. Did Facebook? You? Facebook. You have done yep. a lot of Century thinking. Link Stadium. <laughs> You've been busy. Yep, busy. 
and you've done a lot of thinking about how the people on the continent react to Hawaii well, style. Well, you know, not okay. everybody can come to Hawaii, so I take the food to them. You do? <laughs> yeah. Now, what do they think, Sam, Hawaii food is? Well, you know, way back when, think about it. They said if you wanted good food, it would bring it with you. Way back when, you know? You mean originally when they came from, from Tahiti? Well, not, not Tahiti. I'm talking about the travelers when they started to really enjoy Hawaii, Waikiki and all that. Oh, Way back yeah. when, that's what they were told. You want good food, you know, some of the writers then. Of course, that was kind of unfortunately because we always had great food here. Huh. We had all the ethnic groups that lived here, mm -hmm. along with their culture, they brought their food. You know, so we were exposed to great food from way back when. We were also exposed to some, like, some real trends from the continent that, that overtook our food scene well, that here, too, like but seafood Newburgh and the Right, and, and you know, it's like when I travel like in the Bahamas and out in St. Croix and Costa Rica and all those areas, you find that same footprint that we went through in Hawaii there. Because why? All these big resorts, they hire all the European chefs. And not against, nothing against the European chefs, because there's a lot of great European chefs. But that's what happened in the old days with all the Sheratons and all the big hotels. Even they had, here. Even, I'm talking about Hawaii right now. They had all the European chefs, and they followed the Newburgh cookbook, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and the interesting part is that uh, it's been a long battle, but, you know, I think a lot of the food has changed now. You know, Hawaii is now in the forefront, you know? We have great food, great chefs. I think um, Peter Merriman, way back when, when we formed that Hawaii Regional Cuisine Group, that was a very important launch for all the next generation of chefs. And today, it's in good hands. We've got a lot of great chefs on, in Hawaii. And great food, even from the mom and pop places to the new you know, places that are all over town. Yeah. On the continent, what do they think Hawaii food is? You're dealing with that right now in your restaurant. Right, Jordan? Um, you know, there's a mixed response to what people think. And some people, you know, we're fortunate in San Francisco and Northern California to have so many Hawaiians and local people who were born and raised in Hawaii, went to college and kind of stayed. So we have those people on our side. When they come in, they're just like, wow, you guys are doing it justice. And thank you, because we don't see other people doing the same thing. That kind of helped pave the way towards like credibility. And what I think, did they eat, those people who were looking for Hawaiian food, and where did they find it? Well, you know, it's like people are like the word Hawaiian barbecue, you know? Is and, what? and exactly, right? <laughs> for us, we all know it's like sitting in a garage with over hibachi, just like, you know, <laughs> grilling some chicken and beef. And when, when we try to think about explaining that to somebody else that didn't grow up in that culture, they don't really understand how, they're just like, oh, it's a meal. Well, like, how is that different from a southern barbecue? Exactly, and I think, you know, Sam does a really great way of explaining it and, you know, kind of rebringing the focus to, like, we deserve to be on top and be compared with all the European cuisines, all the cuisines in the South, all the things that are kind of popular nowadays. I think, to be honest, we hit it head on. Um, and I think when people think about Hawaiian food, you know, there's still that image of, like, pineapple and different things. And with my restaurant, I kind of drew lines in the sand. I said, you know, we're just not going to serve pineapple. Because... <laughs> You know, and you know, it's, it, it's kind of like, people are like, wow, you know, that's kind of, you know, when the New York Times wrote an article about us, it said, you know, Hawaiian cuisine, hold the pineapple. You know, and I was like, wow, that was a pretty bold statement, because just for me to use the word Hawaii or the word Hawaiian to describe my food, I take a big weight with that, you know. People sometimes, they use it so loosely, it's like, 
because they know people are going to come into the door because it's a good, they know what a good version of that is and they're still trying to find it. <laughs> so, you know, it's mixed. You get people who really know what they want and go because they know you have it. And they have some people that are going in, they're just like, oh, you know, we do local moco, but we don't do a traditional local moco. We do a Calbi style, all American beef, no bone, braised. So very European. What is it in that case? Right? Exactly, smoked with kiabi that we're bringing from Kauai, oh, fresh hearts right. of palm from Pune. That to me was now a local moko. Yes, it was served with rice and maybe not poi, but it was a different version of local moko that was elevated. People were coming in and they were just like, wow, that's amazing. And they might not have had a traditional local moko, but we kept all the names traditional. So when they come here, they look for lomi salmon, they look for different things that are either Hawaii or Hawaiian. And Hopefully, we do it justice. That's kind of our big focus. Oh. Excellent. Mar Martha, when you were researching poke for your book, I mean, you knew that folks on the continent would be interested in this, right? Yeah, because the publisher was interested in it, so they came uh -huh. to me for the oh. book because exactly, they kind of wanted to ride the Hawaii popularity and the poke popularity, um, which I feel like is, you know, the cynical side of me says it's kind of a business opportunity and the Hawaii brand is really strong right now. I think the Hawaii Tourism Board has done a great job of advertising Hawaii and mates sold it as a destination. But I also think, I mean, they're selling to a crowd that is really looking for something authentic. And I think it's not an accident that Southern cuisine is really on the rise now or like someplace like Denmark that never was on anyone's radar is coming to the forefront with Noma. Um, and the same, people are just looking for something unique and tells a story that has deep roots. And Hawaii absolutely has that. Do and they think of those roots and the story when they eat poke? I mean, <laughs> do they connect it with poke, do you think? Um, maybe on the surface, but I think it depends where you go to. I think if you went to somewhere like Aina, then you would. Oh, yeah. Um, if you went to some of the more fast casual poke places, maybe not as much. But I mean, maybe it also inspires someone to come here eventually or, and learn about it. Or maybe it inspires some people to not even come here, but maybe just like learn about it still. I don't know. Uh -huh. How do you see that working? I mean, are, can people come to Hawaii, do you think, and be changed by something that they eat? I was reading a New York Times article about people going to the Korean Olympics and how very few of them actually tasted Korean food. Would it be, and, and how would they have been changed if they had? Can people, you think, come to Hawaii and be somehow changed by the food they eat here? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You think so? They for that. sure would, yeah. I think with Taniokas and all those people that really do poke on a regular basis and do it very well, I think they've changed and touched a lot of people's lives. You know, um, you know I, I, I get to live that because we're in Seattle, and I see all these uh, millennium people, I don't maybe use that word, but all the, all the, you know, the dot-commers that work in those industries, yeah. we're in Amazon, we're in Starbucks, we're in, you know, um, CenturyLink. Those people know how to eat. And let me tell you what, maybe because of your writing or your knowledge of sending it out there or had a bite or came to food land and had that touch for the first time. It's amazing. I'm sitting, you know, on a bench watching the line at the trucks. And I go up to half of the girls that are walking over with their food. I said, do you know what you just ordered? Oh, yeah, we love your poke. And it's, say, it's pronounced poke. And we know who you are. You're the famous Sam Choi from Hawaii. You know, so... 
I'm like, wow, man. You know, he kind of sets you straight real quick, you know. You're in Seattle. It's kind of like a nice day, which is like rare. But, uh, and then, you know, all these people, they're walking out with poke bowls and poke wraps and poke salads. And you're just going like, wow. And you go and just kind of like, you know, introduce yourself and they go like, stop. We know who you are. You know, so that's, that's. I mean, exactly. did you ever think something like a raw fish on rice could be so big? I always had I that vision. I, I, I had that vision. <laughs> um, you know, I had to thank you very much because it's been a long trip. Yeah. Well, you know, look at this. We live in Hawaii. We've seen sushi and sashimi become a world giant. And more importantly, a household name. You go in the middle of America, like in Omaha, Nebraska, you'll find two or three not a Nobu, not a Morimoto's, but you find a, a sushi restaurant out there, you yeah. know? And, you know, so it, it's kind of like, I want to get Poké to be there. You know, oh. so that's been my march. I, I hate the word mine, but we, we all work hard to do that, right, Chef? You know, to get that Poké and your writing, really people pick it up and read it. You know, and those are the important tools. And I think uh, an evening like this where we can talk about it and share with a lot of the people of Hawaii that, enjoy some of our work and all the great food that we have to offer out here. I think uh, when I'm out in the trenches out there, I just, I get chicken skin. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of like something that my mom and dad taught me way back when, when I was a little boy, working and, not working, but they didn't know how to work yet, but, you know, sitting on the sandy beaches of Hukilau Beach in Laie, you know, watching the guys throw the net, get the moi, clean the moi right there, throwing some back. And that's how I got really involved with Fish Watch Group, the Seafood Watch Group, because in Hawaii, we're light years ahead about the word kapu. Okay, you can't take fish from this time, this month or that month because they're all carrying eggs. And we were way ahead. We didn't just rape the ocean and, and deplete it. I was, uh, a few years ago, I was on the deadliest catch boats. We got to the Russian side. They put the cameras in the water like the Dead Sea. They turn the cameras around to where the American border is and just full with crabs and seafood. And that's why I really firmly believe education has to be another part of this venture, you know, for the young generation and even for us. We can never say we've learned it all because every day we learn, do you, you know? Think, um, do you think, Sam, that food can be somehow an agent of social change? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I firmly believe that you want good food, go to Japan. I mean, they got their trains, got great foods in the train station. They got great food under the, <laughs> under the, what we have here, what's that thing they're building that, that what's that thing? Rail. The rail. I'm not going to mention that, but in Japan, under the, under their system, they got ramen stores. I mean, and all great food, you know? It is. Everybody and, you know, we're so influenced by that food, but one way we're super influenced is in freshness. That's it. That is a key. That's the and key. And that's something that is so hard to attain on a, on a mass basis. I mean, I think of what Keone does and how he feeds so many people across the state every day. I mean, how do you keep quality like that going? The, the challenge, when the, the human element gets involved sometimes, right? And then you have to work and get people to believe in what you're doing, right? But it really comes down to having that vision, getting the right people, and then 
not being afraid to say it a million times, right? I, oh, I need it to be this so way. So true. So that's, that's kind of how we do it there. I mean, and it's sourcing the right product, too. That's what the conversation was like behind the scenes, my friends. These people were talking about other people, individuals that they know deliver certain things in certain places, and those are the key. Yeah. Those are the keys for these people who, who've got to produce a quality product all the time. You know, when you, when you do a recipe, for example, you, you, you've really shared so many wonderful local recipes. And, Thank you. And you look for what will appeal to local tastes. What do you do to make something taste local? Well, are you talking about the stuff we do in the videos or in the store? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, 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 was, would you say videos? No, I didn't. Oh, you uh, said in general? Yeah. Um, I mean, we look at a couple of different things. I mean, we, we look at um, if there's a dish that we think is part of the DNA of Hawaii, right? right. And like shoyu chicken or long rice or, or poke or simple things like that, things that we all grew up. The thing that we're trying to do then is recreate it in a way that majority of the audience, when they try it, would agree that this is what it's supposed to be, right? And then we'll also do things like in our Food Land Farms Alamoana store, we, we try to, we try to in, incorporate some of a modern look on, on certain things. And because, you know, our, our palates are evolving, right? So it may be that we're going to say, okay, we, we, we think that the, the palette of flavors in Hawaii or of Hawaii would be, you know, we're going to do lemongrass and kofir lime leaf with something, or we're going to do show you with ginger and green onions because that's a certain direction that we're going to go in. And then we start looking at different applications and techniques that we're seeing. And we're always reading and we're watching what's going on. And I think th those discussions kind of drive what we're doing. But what was interesting, though, is like for Kamehameha Day recently, we said oh, we're going to take our hot bar and we want to do our own sort of luau. And you know, we, we figured out how to make sort of the baked lao lao so that it could go out. We did our own version of um, you know, squid luau, but we did it with kale to try to you know, mix it up a little bit. And we did th simple things like we just got a kule and we just fried it and put it out. And oh, yeah. people very, really responded to it very well. So, I mean, it's sort of a, a, a mixed mash. But I think what's interesting about that is when you think about our cuisine and what Hawaii is, and we were talking about this again in the back, is the cuisine is a mixture of, of all of these different cultures coming together. And it continues to keep evolving and mixing and evolving and mixing. And so, you know, what we do at, at the store and as we look at food is how, how the, the historical trends have adjust, have changed food in the past and, what it's, and where is it going now and how new, uh, like new immigration and new cultures that are coming in are affecting that. And then the speed with which things are changing now because of the internet and because of social media, that churn rate is even faster, so that evolution is even, is sort of magnified. So, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> and spawned <Yeah>. more. <laughs> but I mean, that's the same kind of thinking you do, right, Jordan? Absolutely, the whole time Keone was speaking, I'm like, wow, that's the same thought process I work through. It's, you know, I'm kind of selfish sometimes, where I kind of cook what I want to eat, because I haven't had it in a while. You know, like, I need to have lao lao because, on the menu, because I just, I can't get it anywhere else. So we start figuring out, okay, where can we get luau leaf? Who can we get paia ai from so we can make our own poi? And it's really cool to be serving hand-pounded poi in San Francisco, because I think we're the only place in the United States you know, that serves hand-pounded poi. Um, and it's things like that. It's those initiatives, you know, having kalo be, you know, or even ulu be the staple instead of pineapple being the picture and the symbol of Hawaii, 
How about Kalo? How about Ulu? How about these things that we are more connected with? That's true, because, you know, the Ulu industry is going to be booming soon. You think so? Another oh, no, one. This I, is I know, <laughs> the next thing. I know so. But, this is know, the next conversation. The interesting part about that, you, you know, you're so right, you know. Um, you know, and now the education piece of the Ulu now comes into play. You know, because people see it, they wonder, like, how do you get up there to get it? You know, <laughs> what do you, what's all that milk that's coming out of it? But see, now that becomes part of the education yeah. movement now. It's kind of a forbidding thing to start working with, really, though. First off, you know, it's, I can't imagine housewives or uh, people at home. This is me, you know? Right. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, now it's going to be brought to the forefront, you know, not only as flour, but as a product, you know, as breadfruit, yeah. You know so let me just say this piece, because when I'm out there doing it, and guys go like, what's, what's ulu? I said, oh, that's the knife from Alaska. I go, no, no, no. It's a breadfruit. <laughs> breadfruit. I go, mutiny on the bounty. Oh, Martin Brando. I said, yep. That's wow. the <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, you got to kind of do that. It's like the first time I made poke years ago at Washington, D.C. for the big fish fry. And Danny Noy was there. It was so nice. Akaka, all those people out there. And I had 400 pounds of fish and had a small line because it was raw. So I turned around and I said, oh, we got fish tartar. Boom, the line came long. You know, so it's just a play on words. That's all it is. So tell us a little bit about poke, your research on poke, well, and different you know, pokes. Around. Yeah, I think we all have had a little dabble of it. Uh, what's really interesting, not, not to kind of like toot my horn, but What's been really interesting, almost every poke place I've been in, like in London or outside of America, there's my book in there. <laughs> you know, so hurry up with your book. And your book next, that's yeah. right. So, so the other interesting thing, I, I did the research because I believed, I grew up with it in Laie at Hukilau Beach, but I also believe that if you're going to put a pen to the page, you got to know more about it and just the talking about it. So, you know, did the research about the trail of poke, like the Kantiki, or where did the Hawaiian people come from, or Polynesia? So of course, started off in South America, guess what, ceviche. You know, they have, a, they have a, a raw fish out there that's cooked with lime, hot peppers, and very tasty, you know, and started there, and then you came across to Rapa Nui, you know, because Rapa Nui is another island where the moes are, and you go there, you find no trees, that's true, Whoever been to Rapa Nui, <laughs> yeah. they used all the trees to roll those big moes down to the, to the ocean. But they have almost similar to, the, similar to the Hawaiians, cracked seed poke, where they chop everything up. Guts, gills, blood, and everything. I mean, it, it's, it was very interesting. I think Andrew mm. should have been there to taste that poke. But anyway, they, you have it there, and then you kind of move up to the Tomotus or part of Tahiti, and then you find kind of like more of a refined poke, but they have with coconut milk. Yeah. So they add the Poisson Cru to that. And Samoa has a similar poke, but they add coconut milk and they use only Aku oh. because of the you know, big star kiss factory there. That's how they make the poke, and they call it Oka. Huh. You know, so, and of course, New Zealand, Fiji, they have it a little bit more refined. And then of course, the motherland of poke, I have to say that, is Hawaii. You know, we are the motherland of poke. Thank you. Go ahead. You want to clap? You clap, man. Um, That's right. Do you still feel that little squares is the best shape for that fish? Yeah, well, you know, it has changed. Like everything else, you know, like chefs have brought up a good point, and 
I think on her research when she does her book or she's almost there or whatever, you'll find that everybody, you know, the first time I did pokey, I kind of was on TV one morning, did it, talking, and I said pokey and this and that. Roby, our famous sister Roby, called me. She's teaching at University of Hawaii, Hawaiian language. Called me on the <laughs> phone and says, Brother Sam, Honey. it's pokey. <laughs> Poki is something bad in the Philippines, so you don't want to go there. You know, and I went like, okay. You know, you looked at her like, you know. And all my life, I never knew that you had to say it, poke. And then she sent me a whole clip on the research of, you know, why it's called because cut into cubes or just chopped, you know, because there's really no really word to define poke, you know. So that's how I just kind of like said, if you're going to learn it, you must learn it from the best. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I, I learned it. I, I had the eating part down. You know, I grew up on the North Shore. We used to go to, to, to Kauku, where the big waves would crash on the shoreline. We didn't have what they have in Kauai, the salt ponds, but the, the salt water would crash on the shoreline and come up to those natural lava bowls like were created by the wave and wear and tear. And the salt would be sitting in those bowls. I mean, today I wouldn't do it because some of the salt might yeah. be yellow. <laughs> It's an inside joke. And then, and, and then, well, when you really think about it, right, kukui nut, candle nut, basically was a real important flavor to poke way back when. Then you had the sea salt from the ocean. So that was basically, then you had the sea salads from the ocean, the limoko, the lipepe, the manuel, all the different types. Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of it because of overpicking and not learning how to pick. I was just on a venture out in Kauai, Man, they got the best limoko out there. They're long and red, but they know how to cut. They're, they're using scissors because you never want to pull it off the rocks. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do a lot of work with uh, nat- uh, Nature Conservancy out in uh, Palmara Atoll. Man, there's so much stuff out there, but you can't touch it. I mean, there's limoko going this way, that way. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> but, you know, I really like that you're so involved in the conservation aspect of it, too. I mean, the, I worry about the whole world getting turned well, on to poke. You know, we, we, it makes we, me worry we, for we, tuna. We're, we're in, uh, you know, Emma Lagasse and I did an event, and we had people come up to us and said, you guys got to stop saying pork fat rules and more butter, more better. Yeah. You know, we're doing that. Yeah. And, you know, they said, you got to stop that because... When you guys give that kind of message, people are listening. So we as chefs and writers, if we send a wrong message out, we're going to have something depleted. So that's why I was so, and you know, I'm good friends with Paul Prudhomme, God bless his soul, but when he did the blacken, it almost depleted the redfish. Oh, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, it almost wiped out the species of Do redfish. Do you think that maybe the, your... Sam, Choi's, poke to the max could have a specialty, tilapia poke? Yeah, we do a lot. We do I a lot of things would. like that. <laughs> well, you know, I always say when fish is $40 a pound, it's time to roll out the aloha tofu. Yeah, you know? which is a great tofu. And not only that, it's healthy. And you know? it's a, I, a and good I, poke. I honestly love tofu poke. Yes. You know, and I, I've been using like beet poke. is really neat. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's very vibrant. It looks like. It Man, some like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like hype, but then I sprinkle a little edamame in there. But anyway, I don't want to take too much of everybody's time here too, because they're just as talented, or maybe even more talented than me. But I just enjoy. I'm like a little kid in a candy store when it comes to poke. <laughs> I mean, I, I travel all over Seattle because there's over a hundred stores. A lot of them been closing lately, and the reason why it's quality. 
You can't beat quality and freshness. That's it. That's the bottom line. It's easy. She said it earlier in there. It's easy to pop up a, a poke shop, but then if you don't have the, the ducks lined up, it's going to close up real quick. Because the people that are eating it, they know. They know when somebody's using frozen. You know, KTA in Kona, not, not a competition, but on Hawaii <laughs> Island, you know, the Tanaguchis, they, they use fresh fish, everything. Only thing I go in there, I give them little problem when they serve a lot of marlin because I'm, you know, I belong to Fish Watch and marlin, marlin is on the dangered list, you know. So I was going to tell the butchers there, man, hey, lay off the marlin, man. Come on, you guys. <laughs> well, you know, it's got to be done. In fact, I see that happening in restaurants more in Honolulu. You know, tying our eating, dining experience to um, some, to, to uh, raising our own consciousness, right? Um, Martha, you see that as a trend? Do you think that's going to pick up in this? In, and that could be part of the Hawaii message that comes with our Hawaii food. The conservation aspect or the... the conservation yeah. aspect. You know, what's the name of the, the blue water or food, the food? What is the name of it, guys? You know. No, no. It's, it's where, um, for example, Mud Hen Water has it, uh -oh. where you can uh, find out about yeah. the, the fish, where it was caught, and so on, get all that... Yeah, Eagle Seafood started that in uh -huh. Boston. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, seafood, seafood Watch. Seafood Watch. Yeah, that seafood is Seafood Watch. Yeah. And, um, they have those little cards that has all the endangered species. Yeah, the different color codes. Different color codes. Mm -hmm. and, um, Do you see that as a trend that could uh, really work? Um, I think Ed Kenny is literally the only chef who is certified by Seafood Watch in Hawaii. So mm. I don't see it happening anytime soon, honestly. Do you, you would think about that, though. What do you... Th I mean, are, are we... Um, are we just hell-bent to depleting our, our fish stocks and just living with it? I personally think so, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I've been very, um, very uh, mm -hmm. interested in making sure that we have enough for the next generations and the next generations. And the reason I say that, because we're, we're smart people. And education is the key to that. If the Hawaiians could have done, if the Hawaiians did that years ago, by using this word kapu, why can't we use this now? Mm -hmm. You know, they knew that you can't touch certain kind of species at this time of the year. I said that earlier. So I am very crazy about making sure that when we're up there, hopefully I'm up there looking down at earth and go like, wow, we did a great job. Mm -hmm. There's enough for everybody, you know? And that's really my big challenge because if you're a creative, creative chef, you can have the farmers that farm certain species. You know, there's like the white tilapias that they're raising on the big island or other kind of species. Unfortunately, in Hawaii, the tilapia got a bad rap because of alawai. I mean, but I've tried the tilapia in alawai. It didn't glow at night. You know? but, but you know what? It, it, it's, it, it's interesting to, that the Hawaii influence is Poke is like maybe the second wave of the Hawaii influence, and we think that more waves are, are going to come. You know, what, what is it about Hawaii, maybe preparation or ingredients that, that also make, uh, are, are distinguishing for us? Let's put it that way. For me, I feel like everyone who comes to Hawaii, whether they know it or not, they feel a sense of place. I don't know, for me, when I come back here, I feel connected to the aina and the land like nowhere else in the world. And I think people have a sense of that, right? People feel things that they don't know how to explain sometimes. Hawaii is that kind of a place where you're going to feel that. 
And I think people come here and they feel that, they taste the food, they see the people, they talk to people, they're like, wow, like, I've never been to a place like this. It's special, it's unique, it's different. Really? So much so that I want to capitalize on it and use Hawaii as a branding. I think Hawaii's gotten to the point where it's a brand now. When you say Hawaii, it means something. What and does then, it mean you, in, in your mind or, or as you see it, as you think the continental people? For me, I, the word Hawaii, it means more than just right, a place. It's a mentality, it's a way of life. Like when we talk about the seafood watch and sustainability, for me, becoming a chef and being from Hawaii growing up on the Big Island, that was kind of like the way you lived your life. There was just, I didn't see any other way of doing it. You know, and I saw in the industry chefs doing things that were cutting corners and I just knew I wasn't going to make that sacrifice. You know, we bring a whole pig in every week. We use Garden Isle for all of our fish. And our seafood rating system here is so good because of all the Japanese influence that our number two here is a number one in California as far as the grading system. So we're able to really, I mean, influence people. It's just now they're willing to listen. Now people are like, hey, what do you guys have to say about this? Is this really? authentic? You know, I learned about poke from Sam. What I read his books. What are some other maybe ingredients or preparation methods that um, preparation methods that might seem characteristically from Hawaii? Well, you know, I, I talk to Daniel Anthony from Manaai about this a lot, and we talk about lao lao, right? It's a dish: butterfish, Hawaiian sea salt, pork. To me, I think lao lao is a technique. I don't think it's a dish. I think it's a way that you can anything you want in there. We did a was a 60-day aged pa'ya'ai lao lao, literally just kalo, that's one plant. It was something that like terroir is a culinary term for like this essence of flavor that you just can't describe. It's almost like umami. I feel like we have that in so much of our food. It's why people can't explain it. They try to imitate it, but they can't. They fall short. You know, I think, you know, I use chicken katsu as an example, right? You know, I know the Japanese style is chicken breast, but in Hawaii, I grew up eating chicken thigh, dark meat, katsu. So that's what we serve. You wouldn't believe the amount of people who love our katsu and come there just Can't for a chicken katsu. Out why, right? And yeah, you know, we use organic chicken, we use sustainable farming, we buy from purveyors that are doing the right thing, and we're helping tell the story of like, look, if it's Hawaiian katsu, it's gotta be chicken thigh, gotta be dark meat, gotta be panko, breadcrumbs, right? <laughs> there are certain things. If you're gonna say this is katsu, gotta follow those guidelines. If not, don't steal our name. <laughs> what do you think, Keone, could um, maybe hit next? Uh... Well, I think what's interesting, I think, is um, I'm seeing a lot of Filipino hitting. You know, I think I that's, I'm hearing that that's yep. the next thing. I, I see a lot of Filipino chefs modern coming interpretation up. of adobo. I'm seeing a lot of uh, the use of vinegar, shoyu, and other methodologies. I think it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, there's... There's restaurants, I think, that are popping up in the mainland that are focusing on that. And, I, and when, when, I'm, when I'm hearing about trends, I, people are pegging that as, you know, the next thing. I'm seeing chicharron a lot, you know. So I think that's an interesting thing that, um, and the cooking style is very flavorful, too. And I think there's this big search for flavor, and I think that's quite possibly where the next, you're going to start seeing a lot of evolution I'm seeing, you know, Bon Appetit's writing about it, Food and Wine's writing about it. They're, mm -hmm. they're, that's, that's becoming a, you know, pork belly is, is very big, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's next? Everything's pork belly now. What's, yeah. what's, what's next? I don't know. What do you think's next? Vegetables. Yeah, no, you know, you know, you're right. That's absolutely right. I'm with you 100% on that. You know, yeah. I want to jump on that bandwagon. I'm designing right now. In fact, I leave for Dallas tomorrow, and my boss is an American and says, 
Think light, Sam. A lot of vegetables. So I'm like, yeah, that's kind of like where, yeah, and that's where it's at right now. But you know, I think I'm cycling it back to a comment you made, and you're asking if whether food can be a vehicle for social change, right? And there are a lot of themes that we're hearing in the discussion here. The, 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 the impact on fish, right, we're talking, and, and when you think about Hawaii, we're talking about food, but I think we also have to realize that we're an island chain that's surrounded by water, and we're 10 to 12 days ocean from the, the mainland here with food product, and when you think about the fact that 80% of the product that's consumed here is brought in, so you start asking yourself, okay, how we eat, what we eat, where we get the food from, what we're using to grow the food, how we're fertilizing it, are we sustainable? You know, you, you start having to address all these things and it, it's, it is an agent, I think, of social change. And if you look at it that way, and I think we're talking about also, when we talked about ancient Hawaiians, right? They came here and they were, you know, at the, at the when King Kamehameha united the islands, my understanding there was 1.5 million Hawaiians, right? And they were able to live here in balance, right? They were able to use resources here and not abuse them. And I think, you know, we, were, we had a talk with Nainoa Thompson uh, a few weeks ago, and one of the big messages he talked about was really how do we bring balance back to the island chain, but one of his big goals is globally, how do we bring balance back? And he feels as well that it's not our generation, but it's the next generation that is really going to have to do the work to really get us back where we need to be. But we have to do the work now to set them up. And how we eat, what we eat, all makes a big impact on where we're going to go, what's going to happen to the earth, right? How possible is it for such an important community entity as Foodland to buy local? You know, that's a tricky, that's a really tricky question. And, and you know, we, 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 we struggle with that in some ways because we are a local company. We support local. One of our big initiatives actually right now is, is to support local. And, and for us, it's, it's working to, de to, to define what that means, right? Does that mean locally produced, locally grown? Lo you know, what is, what is that? What is local? Um, but at the same time, we want to try to support the, the, the economy that we have here. So mm. where we can, we're, we're bringing in local product. And, it, and because we're, even though we're a small company relative to you know, Kroger with thousands of stores, in Hawaii, we're a big company, right? Mm -hmm. And so it makes it even more challenging because there may be a farmer that we, we love their product and they do a great job. Um, but they're afraid because they think they have to do all 33 stores. And so it's working with and, and, and reaching out and creating relationships and networking and, and, and doing outreach to let someone know, we like your product. If you can only service one of our stores, we'll take your product to that one store. And if and it just I supports that community. Well, and that's the other question. Well, people okay. also are afraid to, to sometimes work with us because mm -hmm. when you start working in the supermarket industry, it's not just selling product, it's about logistics and distribution. And so I might be able to grow something, but I don't have the infrastructure to get it to you. And so we're doing a lot of work to try to figure out, okay, how do we look at the supply chain and how do we support the supply chain to get the product so that we can get it in the stores? And then the other part is educating the public, right? Because when you ask someone, 
would you rather have local or would you have mainland? They're gonna say local. The next thing I'm gonna say is, okay, are you willing to spend 30% more for that? Because it's local and it's more expensive, the yields may be lower, we have weather issues, you know, that's when people start having to make Wait, the tough decisions. Let's ask that question. Are you willing to pay 30% more to, if it's local? Yes. yes. Are you really? I, I just want to get to that part because I think, uh, very well said, but I think the real challenge, I know we kind of like getting off what really the topic's all about, but the real challenge is looking at our land lease. You know, our poor farmers who really work to their nails and feed and everything's hunkered down in the earth, they're, they're making just probably breaking even because of the land lease. So if our state is as great as it should be, they should cut the deal with the farmers and give them a deal. I'm the yeah, I mean, they, they work, they work. I, I'm really blessed to kind of hang out with Diotani Produce, who he subsidized some of the farmers so that they can make that window to give the price so that they can sell it to restaurants at a mainland price. And the reason I fight for this, because I know how hard farmers work. And you know, they get the real short end of the deal. They gotta pay for the water. They gotta pay for the electricity to pump the water. And take such risk. Take such risk. The people on Puna right now are just praying that their papaya industry just don't get totally wiped out. I mean, people on Maui. I mean, we got probably the best growing weather but it's just that land cost is so outrageous that it forced them to come in 30 cents per, 30 percent higher than Even the mainland people. It's here. But we have the technology, we have the smart people, people Larry Jeffs on, on, on there, the Loon Farms, they can produce, they can just keep growing. But when you factor in mm -hmm. the land cost. We have to close up pretty soon yeah, now. But, but anyway, that's that my story. That is a major point because in the end, and I won't run for politics, trust me. <laughs> well, I don't know. We may draft you. But you know, we've just got a few minutes here. And if there were to be a message that went out with Hawaii food, a message people get when they eat our food, a message when they read our cookbooks, what, what do you think that could be? I'll go first. Hawaii's magical. <laughs> Hawaii's a very magical place. We all live here. We enjoy a lot of things. Everybody has different enjoyments. But when you put it all together, we're a very loving community. We care for each other. We want to see people succeed. But more importantly, we care. That's Hawaii. And that's why people look at us and go like, wow. Right here. That's what we are. We, we're caring people. In the end, that's what makes the food so good. That's what makes we food. care. The chemistry. You say? I think it's. Yeah, it's the comfort and the cultural aspect because really, really deep roots. I mean, where else in America do you have indigenous cuisine that is served in a restaurant, like an entire restaurant built around it? Um, and definitely, like, when I think of Hawaiian food and local food, it's very much a comfort food. Um, you know, it was born out of the plantations or it was born out of um, the native Hawaiian culture. And... I think it's great that we kind of, we straddle both sides, Hawaii, like east-west, yes, of course. We also straddle like both sides of the timeline. We, um, right now, you know, incorporating all these new influences, like you're saying, the immigration, but we're very much also set in the past. You know, we have restaurants that are centuries old, and that's pretty rare these days. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
No, I think I think that I think that Hawaii and Hawaii food and the sen it's the sensibility that, um, and I think we're we're all saying sort of the same thing that it's it's soul and it's from the heart and the sense of place. It's it's all connected, right? When you come here, there's a there's a sense this vibe that you get, right? And it's it's in the air. And you know we use the term aloha, but I really think it has to do with that feeling of community. Uh, togetherness and soul and heart all mixed together. And when you're eating the food, that's all what you're experiencing. You know? Wow. I got to go last. That's going to be hard. Um, Actually, we said it all. You really did say it all. You know, I got inspired by each thing that you guys said. And I think a lot about, like, for me, I always wanted people to walk away with more intelligence of Hawaii, right? I want them to see Hawaii the way that I did, like the stories of learning about how smart Hawaiian people were where they had the fish ponds and they would only take what they need. That's like sustainability 2,000 years ago. I want intelligence to be big, right? Like we know the culture's there, the sense of openness and welcoming people have been defined, like Hawaii defines that. But I really also want there to be an intelligence part to it because I don't think people understand how smart Hawaii is. The people, the culture, and like how traditionally Hawaiian people were so intelligent and so smart living sustainably almost a million people on every island. I mean, how did we mess that up, you know? <laughs> but I just think that, like, for me, Jets. I really, really want, yeah, you know? And I think the intelligence part to it, the education is part of that intelligence part, you know? I think I want people to walk away with the intelligence that people of Hawaii have. Well said. Well, yes. my name is Elisa Johnston, and I'm wondering... Since one of the biggest food stories in Hawaii in the last two years was the conditions of the fishermen on the fishing fleets that supply us with fish, um, is there a role for the large-scale purchasers of fish in trying to affect public policy or how we deal with immigration or how we enforce the laws that exist? What do you see that is certainly an opportunity to affect change? Jeff. Well, you know, you know, you know. Seriously, see, that's a that, you know, I mean, we're laughing, but that's a very good point yeah. because a lot of those guys on that boat, they cannot come off the boat. They're they're like locked into that vessel, so they go out to sea, work their butts off. They come back in. They gotta stay on that boat. They fish. They cook their fish, whatever they have. And you know, it's kind of like I remember when some big celebrities had made clothes in some foreign countries. Not gonna mention names. And then all of a sudden, child labor. So we have to look at ourselves in a mirror and go like, hey, wait a minute. You know, is it good what we're doing? We're enjoying all this tuna and all this fish that kind of like Nelson Bay in New Zealand gets shipped over to Japan or whereas all of ours here goes to the mainland and we're just kept here with just a little bit of the fish that we have here. But some people may, may say differently. But, but so you, as someone who has to buy uh, large quantities from, from these fishing yeah, fleets... Yeah, so we, we have to really look into that and look at how it, we can change take that around. as a responsibility to, to look for, to deal with only, only uh, legal well, or... You know, I, I did a thing with Thomas Keller just recently, and he's a very interesting guy. He um, goes deep into food, you know, scary deep. Yeah. He's got, yeah, a, hippie, he got I, a hippie girl that grows all his... Uh, raises cattle to, to get her his butter in Connecticut, you know, and I'm like, why, why Connecticut? There's people in the Bay Area that has cattle, but he goes, oh man, the way she sings to her cows and 
and the way she, you know, she walks in the real nice and she dances, you know. And I'm like, man, is this guy smoking some of the Colorado, some of the Colorado herbs? But anyway, no, he's not. But he, that's the kind of person. So, you know, you want to be pure to what you're doing. And, I, and that is so true. How can we be pure when these guys are locked up on those boats? Well, maybe... Yeah. When we go into restaurants, it's that, our that responsibility yeah. to, you know, as diners or yeah. and as consumers ourselves, we have a responsibility in that as well. I would think. Does yeah, that you know, answer or? Uh, I actually have something to add to that too, because I grew up fishing with my uncle, right? And I know how hard it is to fish. We used to fish Hilo to South Point, and it was an all-day fishing day, 12 to 16 hours. We would sleep on the boat the night before. We would be on the boat past Hilo break wall at like five o'clock in the morning. It's a hard, hard labor, right? So when we were thinking about, okay, how are we gonna start serving fish in San Francisco that's good quality that I can be proud of? You know, we looked at a lot of different fishing companies, but my big thing is I had to go to the port here, and I wanted to actually see. I met the fishermen, met the guys in the crew. Oh, how many boats you have? You have three. These are all the crew guys. Got to meet them all. Really got connected. Okay, who's your fish buyer? Who's the guy who selects the fish? He's from Hawaii, born and raised, Japanese guy. Okay, good. Looking at the whole process and yep. going through it, I think, you know, like you said, knowing where your food comes from, knowing the farmer, that way you know who your fish is coming from and you know if that's happening. And to be honest, if you're doing that, it doesn't really fit in, you know, it's hard to fit in with Hawaii. Um, but, you know, but not, to be, not to be really bad on this whole deal, but when you think about it, Japan, they've learned a lot of, they've learned to teach other people how to set the lines so that the bycatch isn't as much, the turtles the sharks, and they have a fraud process. And even in Hawaii now, they've not, not only recently, but you know, in the past, they've learned how to set those lines to do that. So a lot of education has moved towards that. I think uh, DLNR, I think they got people on the vessels now that go out, you know, but we still need to work some kind of way we can get those guys off the boat and be normal. Get your views or your point um, on old school poke, such as Nenui, Veke, Akuli, um, Oio. Manini. Manini, yeah, wow. definitely. Kala, Pakakui. Yeah. You know, and going back Ole. to sustainability, because those types of fish can still be raised in a tank or in a fish pond as they do today. Well, just your thoughts on that. Well, you want to talk that or? You know, thank you. But anyway, um, you know, you know. <laughs> thank you, so kind of you. Anyway, real quick, very good point. Um, you know, history, that was the first fish that they threw their nets on or they made their fish cages to catch those type of fish. And those are really personally my favorite poke. You know, the kole poke, the yellow eye kole, oh, yeah. you know, the moi. You just eat it um, like a paste? No, you chop it up, bones and all. Oh, and yeah. I think that's the challenge of having that where the liability part, if you were to introduce that and somebody doesn't know how to eat it, then that way we, that's where we can get in trouble. But if you go to a Molokai reunion from the Purdy family, or you go to the big island, the Kualis, you'll find that kind of poke all on the table out there. Not the ai poke, but you find all of that kind of fish that he just mentioned. Uh, of course, oio, they spoon it to make the oio poke, which is one of my other favorite. Yeah. That's like eating spam, yeah. there's no bones in it. You know, so uh, those are very good. And you're right. You can farm and raise those fish because it's easy. You know, it's right on the shoreline. 
Can they ever be a big seller, you think? Uh, How that's about gonna, that? That's going to be only for the chosen few. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of fish that'd be tough to sell. It seems that Hawaiian food and culture succeeds more on the West Coast than other regions of the United States. How would you succeed in other areas like the Northeast, the South, the Midwest, the Gulf Coast? Pokeballs have hit New York. Yeah, Pokeballs all over, but I, I kind of say that because I travel a lot. But, um, you know, you, you go down south, there is a big battle of catfish. I remember uh, when Swai first came out. Swai basically was originated in one of the universities in Florida. But today it's an Indonesian catfish. And it's a great fish. But when they started to do their catfish like how they do it down south, it was like having the second coming of something, right? They fought it all the way. All the chefs kind of got behind it. But now they're starting to realize it's a good quality product. You know, but then again, so to get Hawaii's food down there, there's pockets. Um, just recently, I was out in Augusta at the, the golf tournament there. There's a Hawaiian poke restaurant and by Hawaiian people. Augusta. Yeah, so I was teasing them. I said, is this fish, tuna, or is it tilapia? You know? Yeah, right. I had to do that. I was just playing. But no, they flew in fish from Honolulu Fish. So, yeah, you know, you're right. And the West Coast is easy because we have a lot of people from Hawaii live there. Right? No, yeah, I was gonna, and to that point, I was going to say, because of the distance, too, and I think the, the East Coast is closer to Europe. And e even when you look at, it's not even local food. If you look at Western or California, that, that, the regional food there versus what's on in New York, you get, the food gets actually heavier, too, and more well-seasoned as it gets closer to Europe. So I think... You know, it's it's a matter of time, but I think you know, Liho Liho Yacht Club, right? That's yep. in New York. No, San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. sorry. So yeah, but there is there's a place no, in New York, Norita. Okay. Norita. So there are places yeah. popping up, and I think you know, there a lot of the people that I went to school with still live on the East Coast, and they're doing their thing there. And I think gradually you'll, you'll start to see more happening. But I, I think like when Roy opened his restaurant in New York, he got hammered because they said it was too sweet and things like that. So I think. You know, the, the climate here has something to do with the style of the food when you're eating it here, and maybe it doesn't always connect when you get that far across. My name's Ethan West, and um, you guys covered a lot of topics that I face and, and discuss in every day uh, for the past few years. So uh, part of that was the land leases that you were talking about from locally sourcing and the essence of terroir as well. Uh, my question is, Amongst this emergence of Hawaiian food on not just a national but a global level, do you feel there is room for the presence of Hawaii beef there as well, grass-fed Hawaii beef? Um, that's, yeah, you know, I, I battled that too a lot because uh, the proof's in the pudding. When you're eating a Wagyu steak and it's melting in your mouth and then you got a grass-fed meat that you're chewing and chewing and chewing. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, not to do, I, I think the education part is basically important that we kind of like put out a good product. You know, so if you're a cattle rancher, um, I, I'm still kind of puzzled why nobody in Hawaii with Parker Ranch or Maui or Kauai, nobody has gotten the Wagyu beefs here. It's in New Zealand, it's in Australia. Greg Norman, they, they have a full-on farm ranch with the, the Wagyu beef. And I, I would say we should start waking up and bringing that here, and that would be a great product to have, oh. you know, to, yeah. to raise Wagyu beef here in Hawaii. We got Parker Ranch. I mean, God, it's beautiful out there. 
And of course, we can't get the guys to massage it, but. Oh, I'll but go do even, that. Even, even, even Parker Ranch, though. Like, I grew up going to the storefront that used to be at Parker Ranch where you could go and buy beef. That's not there anymore. And, and I heard that all the beef now goes to the military. You know, so it's like things like that that I think it's kind of disconcerting because I was searching every island to try and find grass-fed beef that I could be really proud to serve yeah. in San Francisco and say, hey, this is grown right in Hawaii. The guy. <laughs> I know, I've actually been talking with Ethan. Um, and, Give me a card. Yeah, and we, we've been trying to figure out a way where we can, where we can create a partnership and can create a, a great product that I can stand behind because you know, I've tested beef from Maui, I've tested Parker Ranch, and then found out I couldn't Kauai, get it. Kauai. Kauai. Yeah, and you're right. I haven't really found a grass-fed beef that I'm like, I can put this next to even like a prime cut of beef. That's not Wagyu, but a prime cut and have it be the same or comparable. And it's, unfortunately, it's not. The flavor is there. Definitely has more flavor, but the texture is something that Americans are very big on. I think a lot of us know that um, by I some mean, of the foods. Anytime you, can, you have to compare, we're going to be in trouble. You know, anytime somebody's going to compare a prime versus a grass-fed, we're in trouble. Yeah. You know, although I love to, to support the local products and, and all your hard work and effort, uh, we just need to keep doing it, you know? But yeah, that's my big thing. What would yeah. you say though is the advantage of a Hawaii grass-fed beef versus say a California mm -hmm. grass-fed beef? Oh. <laughs> Sorry guys. Um, yeah, I think the advantage draws back to number one, building sustainable food systems for the islands. You know, I, if people can get behind the mission of that, because it's like we mentioned earlier, we import the majority of our food here in Hawaii. Yeah. Those docks get shut down. I mean, we're not going to eat. The second is this essence of terroir, which we were all talking about earlier. It starts with good soil, you know, from good soil, from good grass, and that's how you make healthy animals and healthy communities, and that's a flavor that you can't get anywhere else in the world. There's a reason people are talking about New Zealand beef, because the grass that they're eating, you know, that's where the flavor comes from. I, I want to just jump in real quick, but I will say this, I, it, and I, if everyone would think back five or six years ago, no matter what supermarket you went into, you'd be hard-pressed to find local beef. Today you, you go to any, even our competitors. That has become a standard in all of the meat sets that we have. If you do not have local beef and local grass-fed, you're not competitive. So it's changing. It may not be changing as quickly as you would like, but dietary habits are changing. And while I do enjoy my beef that is finished off on grain, there are people that are looking for grass-fed, and a lot of it has to do with their preferences on, on, and, on their diets and, and how it affects how they eat. So it's changing and you just need to keep fighting the good fight and just stick in there because I, I can see more of it happening. Yeah, and one thing I'll add is that Hawaii is the best place to do grass-fed beef. In California, like you mentioned, I know so many farmers, Marin Sun Farms, like all these really ambitious farms that actually can't fully do grass-fed beef. They say they do, but it's finished on corn, right? And is it GMO corn? I don't know. But these are the things that, like, I support that initiative, and I'm not giving up on it because I do see the change, and I kind of want to see it get to the point where we can compare it. But Hawaii, we have the grass, we can rotate the cattle, and they can be 100% grass-fed. Hi, I'm Larissa Fujimoto. Um, I'm from Kauai. And um, I just have a question about poke because it's actually very political for me. Um, I live six months in Los Angeles, and I live six months in Kauai. And mainland poke is not, it's such a departure from what we eat in Hawaii. And I just wondered 
what do you think about the authenticity of poke versus, like in the mainland versus in Hawaii? Because I go to my poke shops here now and people are asking things to be customized for rice, for fruit, for kale, for all kinds of different stuff. And that to me growing up in Kauai, which is like, you know, Hawaii's frontier, kind of like little, like Molokai. <laughs> so, but, um, so for me, that's very like personal and it's almost like disrespectful to me. I think you're gonna find more of those kind of poke, like the Chipotle kind of poke stores closing. Yep. It's already started. Uh, when you walk down the line and you want rice, you want this, you want that, uh, you, you're finding a lot of it's closing. I know in Seattle, about yeah. maybe a good two dozen already has closed. San Francisco, same thing. Yeah, Why? so, well, because of what you had just said. You know, it's not the truth, it's not the true meaning of poke, and they're not. My big concern when I was asked way back when, oh, what, 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 are, are you nervous about poke? I says, no, two things I would let them, I would like to make sure they do. Know how to say it right. And making sure they use fresh fish. That's all I had to say. No. You know, because everything else falls in place. But uh, anytime you see a Chipotle type of poke shop where you walk down the line and then you got one girl or one guy or guys or they're adding things as you're asking, I want this and what. That place, I'll throw any amount of money on my a few dollars I have to say that place is going to close. Yeah. You so, know, should, so, so should I scrap that concept that I was working on there? <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, hey, but you, hey, but you know what, Chef? You're you're in the lion's den. No, no, no. You know, I gotta admit it. You know, he's right, but he's in the lion den of poke. It's Hawaii. You know, we're we're fortunate. Our people who eat poke are educated, like you said. You're from Kauai. You know what's good and what's not. And a lot of those guys out there, when you do the research on them, they're just looking for that quick swing of the the bride. You know. Yeah. yeah and, the, so the place that you do go to in LA, LA, right? Or Okay, so the thing I would say is it's about, it goes back to just like we're talking about sourcing, right? If you know who's making the poke and, you, and, they, and you're con confident that person knows or has some foundational understanding and understands the real DNA of it, then you're going to have a good experience and that can exist somewhere. But if they don't and they haven't taken the time, and just like go to a Mexican restaurant here. I'm sure there are people from Mexico going, what the hell is that? So it's, this, it's the same thing, right? If you haven't built up an appetite already, because I sure have, we are actually going to have poke bowls for all of you here tonight at the reception. Um, they've been prepared by Keone Chang from Foodland Farms. We're really excited to have them here. Keone, can you tell us a little bit about what the recipe is, what you've prepared yeah, sure. for us tonight? Um, so we actually put a lot, we kind of thought a lot about what we were going to, bring to the table here and the, the team at Food and Farm is all I want to put it together and I think they did a really good job and I, you know, I hope if you, if you liked it let me know if you didn't like it let me know too but um, <laughs> so we have two versions one is and basically the bases are different one is is rice and one of them is salad and so the rice is short grain sushi rice that we cooked and we just lightly seasoned it and the other is just is mixed greens and so and so but both have the same actual poke and we were debating like what kind of poke should we make and I'm glad we picked the one we did because I think as we started talking about poke in this whole discussion, I think the question of authenticity comes up. And so what we chose to do is we took number two ahi and we diced it. And all it has is a little bit of sesame oil. It has inamona. It has white onion. It has ogo and some green onion on it. So <laughs> we kept like it, it very, very close to authentic and there's, there's no shoyu in there. So 
it's a real, I think it's a real a solid um, original style poke, Hawaiian style poke. And the last thing I was going to say is, if you're paleo, if you're Whole30, if you're keto, <laughs> eat the one with the salad, you're fine. Thank you all for joining us. We're so excited to go and dig in with you right now. And finally, a big round of applause for our speakers this evening. Thank you so much. <laughs>